This is Liam Hendricks, and you're watching Crosstown Crosstalk on the Barroom Network. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and I am super excited to be here with each and every one of you today as we celebrate Thursday. It is week two in the National Football League season and I am very excited to partake in all of that with all of you via the tweets and the shows and everything like that. Major League Baseball is getting really into the nitty gritty here with the last couple weeks coming down to the wire in a couple divisions, couple National League races, couple American League races. We got it all coming up to you here at the Barroom Network. There are tons of shows going on. And speaking of tons of shows, last week we did not have an episode of South Burbs Hitman. I guess you could say this week we didn't have an episode of South Burbs Hitman on Monday because we knew that talking about the Chicago White Sox for two hours going against Aaron Rodgers' New York Jets debut wasn't going to pan out too well for us because we're smart. And you know, some stuff happens. Well, in order to make up for it, I thought it would be a great idea on this show. I actually love the idea was to have my good friend, Steven Zim Zimmerman of the South Burbs Hitman podcast. Join the show today. Zim, looking fresh. How's it going, Vinny? I feel like Pretty it's been good. forever since I've gotten to talk with you because, uh, you know, we skipped the last couple of weeks with our fantasy draft with Aaron Rodgers getting hurt. Or, I mean, being on TV, I think. Um, tell you what, his PR firm did a bang up job with his story in the off season, but, uh, you know, the, the, the universe had other plans, I guess. So isn't that crazy how that all works out? Yeah. We were on the show together for the draft, but there wasn't lots of one-on-one conversation going on on that show when there was, you know, I think we had nine people on at the same time, maybe even more. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> that, that was fun though. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, it was interesting though, Zim Rogers, He's at the Rangers game, and he's at this. He's at Taylor Swift singing along, and then four plays into the season, boom, gone. What, what was yep. your immediate reaction from that? Uh, laughter. I'm not an Aaron Rodgers fan whatsoever. I, I think good. he's been a real uh, – uh, how do I put this? Hey, uh, uh, what's our rating on this show? Am I allowed to swear? Or? Yeah, say whatever you want. Okay. Wow. Yeah, no, I think for lack of a better way to put it, he's been a real piece of shit for the last 12 years or so. Um, never really has anything good to say about anyone except for himself. Never. Uh, I don't know. He, he, he never seemed like a guy that the troops would rally behind. Uh, as far as a person goes, it was more his talent that people rallied behind. 
Um, and I think the way that, you know, Green Bay fans felt about him as a person rather than as a player really spoke volumes because uh, Midwestern hospitality is a real thing. And for them to basically say like, yeah, he's our quarterback and, and that's about it. Like, I think, I think that says a lot, you know, Brett Favre was a guy that they really liked as a person up North. Um, and, and for him to then just go on this PR tour, this whole off season, try to regain all the positivity points that he can, um, you know, he ran out onto the field carrying an American flag, which like is, is the most like non Rogers thing I can think of him doing. Um, granted it was nine 11 and any, uh, leader of a New York team should be doing something like that, regardless of sport or anything like that. Um, it still just felt very forced to me. So I know that's a really long winded answer, but just like, I have not liked him for a long time. I don't think a lot of people have. And so when he got hurt, I kind of just felt like, good. I don't have to listen to, to, I don't have to listen to people talk about this all season long anymore. I can yeah. actually enjoy my football season instead of having to hear about, oh my God, the new, the Aaron Rodgers led New York Jets are so good. Or, oh my God, what's happening up in New York without Aaron Rodgers or with Aaron Rodgers, you know, blah, blah, blah. he's not there. So nobody cares anymore. We get to listen to all the fun stories about how Tom Brady has the opportunity to do the funniest thing of all time about how maybe Zach Wilson is the answer after all. And this is, you know, God or the universe or whatever, forcing the jets hand to say, Hey, you made this bed now go lie in it. And, and so on and so forth with all of these possible things that could be coming from the outcome of it all. Holy cow. It's, um, it's going to be a fun season, and that was just the tip of the iceberg. It sure was. It capped off a great week one. The Buffalo Beals took a loss to the New York Jets on a punt return in overtime. I thought that was pretty crazy. Um, we'll deep dive into our favorite football team in a little bit, but we'll save that puke story for a little bit later. We'll start with the other puke story. Um, we haven't talked to Sox in a bit, and they've been equally as – fart-trocious as they've been all season long over the last handful of days. They got a big win in the first game of the doubleheader on Tuesday, and then they got out to a 9 nothing deficit, came all the way back and lost anyway to, in the second game. And then yesterday they lost the series to the Royals, who, you know, they're a 100-loss team already. They're 10 games worse than the White Sox, and they still found a way to just smoke them for most of this year. So where are you at on the Sox at this point? I mean, I know yeah. the I mean, I'm really rooting for the Sox to win seven more games. They've got 16 left, but you know, you and I made a, had some conversations rather on South Burbs Hitman about whether or not this was a hundred loss team or not. And I, I said, no way. And they've just fallen off the edge since that happened. You know, they were playing mediocre baseball, at least now they're just outright playing bad. Their pitching staff has completely fallen apart. Uh, their defense, I, I gotta say, it doesn't look any worse than it did before. So at least there's something there, but the bats are dead on top of it. Like these guys are just, they're all over the place. They, they seem like they don't care, which I mean, who could blame them? Pedro Grafal is saying the wrong thing. in seemingly every interview they're sending down players with two weeks left in the season. Like, what are we doing here? Just outright confusing. Um, so, yeah, I'm really hoping they can uh, manage to win seven games, get to that 63 win mark so that <laughs> at least they don't reach the 100 loss season. Um, I don't know how the draft and stuff works. I think it's lottery based now. So 
you know, you can still root for them not to be a hundred losses and root for them to get a good draft pick at the same time, uh, which is very realistic. It's just, it's just been disappointing. You know, the balk off happened since the last time we talked, they've only won three games. I think since the last time we talked, um, I don't even know where else to go from there. It's just been, it's been rough, man. It has been rough. <laughs> And excuse me, they've won four games since the last time. Oh, we wow. They got the fourth. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, I do think it's funny. They came into this season believing they will be a winner and they're not. They only lost a hundred games once during the entire rebuild and the rebuild saw them, you know, lo- kind of try to lose on purpose early on in it. And they only lost a hundred games once and they lost exactly 100, 62 and a hundred. So if they end up with a worse record, and they ended up picking third overall that year, Andrew Vaughn, of course. Um, if they end up with a worse record but have a worse draft pick this year, I would just find that to be the, you know, the yeah. funniest thing of all time. I be do, a very Reinsdorfian move. Exactly. And it is um, a lottery now. The White Sox, here's the thing, though. I'm with you. I am rooting for them to not reach 100 losses. They're kind of, we're kind of lucky in the sense that we can root for that because they are kind of locked into like the fourth best odds. I don't think whoever's the fifth worst team, I forget who it is. It might be the Cardinals. They're not, the White Sox aren't catching them in terms of wins. And I don't think the White Sox are going to end with a worse record than the Royals, A's, or Rockies. So, and then the only one that's close is the Rockies, but they just picked up a couple against the Cubs. And so I, I don't see the White Sox um, having anything other than the fourth worst odds. So um, in the chat, Joe said, did they send down Colas to hit a hundred losses? I'm actually of the opinion you would keep Colas to go for a hundred losses. That dude's been terrible. Yeah. His defense has been God awful. His bat has been subpar. You know, you you nailed it before the season, man. He's a 4A player. He's too good for AAA, not good enough for the pros. He's got some serious work to do this offseason. You know, the good news is I believe he's still pretty young. Let's see. Wow. If I could type, that would help. Yeah, he's only 24 years old, right? So he's still got a few years to really work it out before, you know, he's kind of considered a lost cause. I would say as long as he puts it together by like 26, 27, He's somebody that could potentially be a, a foundational piece for this next rebuild that we're about to enter. But you're absolutely right for them to have not hit a hundred losses uh, in all of that rebuilding time. And for them to seemingly be on the brink of it this year is really disappointing. And it just goes to show like how little this team cares. They, they cared at the beginning of that rebuild. Those were players with something to prove. We've lost all of that. These guys feel like they don't have anything to prove, like like they're being disrespected or something like that. And and there's no room for that on this team anymore. There's no room for any of it. I'm fine with keeping Andrew Vaughn. He's a perfectly acceptable first baseman, uh, possibly even designated hitter. I'm fine with keeping Oscar Colas, provided that you can actually develop him. Um, I'm fine with keeping Luis Robert so long as he buys in because it doesn't look like he has as far as the rest of them go, get rid of them. I, 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 there's not even a single pitcher I would keep at this point. You know, a lot of people want to say, keep Dylan sees why. So you can waste the prime years of his career. You're not going to compete with him. Get rid of him and get something while you can, you know, but while again, while you can, you might've already lost that opportunity. 
they had a great chance to get some good prospects back for him for Dylan Cease, that is, at the trade deadline. There were a lot of talks about high-end Orioles prospects, the number one farm system in baseball, coming over to the White Sox organization in exchange for him. Sure, it's not the guys that you necessarily want. You know, it's it's not their number one or number two prospects, but if you're getting three of their top 30, like, you have to take that deal, it felt like. And we'll never know exactly what the package was, but... I think it's safe to say that they're not going to get that kind of return if they were to trade him again this or attempt to trade him again this offseason. Uh, you're not going to get anything like that at the winter meetings. You're not going to get anything like that right before the season starts. You're going to potentially have to wait until the next trade deadline to get anything for him. And at that point, he's on an expiring contract, right? So now you're getting less because of that. I think they really flubbed it and there's no ways around it. There's a reason they fired their front office, and it's probably because they didn't have the foresight to see things like that. Um, now, with Chris Getz being the man in charge now, which is something else that we've not really talked about, man, we might need a South Burbs hitman just to vent about some of this kind of stuff. But but with uh, with Getz being out there and being the guy to go to now with all of this, you have to really wonder. He's the head of player development in the White Sox organization. What players has he developed? I, I can't name a single player that has actually developed with the White Sox. Like that stayed productive in the MLB. It's hard to find someone. Right. Lucas Giolito had a, had a good development arc there for a little bit, but he seems to be back down to earth. We, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, South Burbs Hitman account says we will have a show next week, but not two hours. So I'm all on board for that. Cause we got a lot of, t- a lot to talk about with just how, generally awful this team has been it needs to be addressed because they went from like i said being mediocre to being outright bad uh at any rate though giolito had his little arc cease really came on strong and then fell off um luis robert is having the best season of his mlb career and it's only because he stayed healthy it's got nothing to do with his development i mean how many homers is he even at he's over 30 right that's probably about it though i think he's in the mid 30s now yeah, he's well, a, he's, he's a, a 50 home run guy. Yeah, I agree. Like, that's just it. He's at 37 home runs, right? And out of that, he's only got 75 excuse RBIs. Me, 75 RBIs. Thank you. 75 RBIs with 35 home runs. That's disgusting. That's, that's not good. That's not he good. He should at have all. 110. Right. And I mean, it, it just is what it is. You know, we're not in the days of Tommy and Canerco and Thomas and and Ordonez and Lee and uh you know, these guys that that were productive when it counted. That's just not the game anymore, unfortunately. So Take what you will with it. I I think there's a lot of building to do on this White Sox team. I, I think that they only maybe have one or two organizational pieces to do it. I think Yoan Moncada is outright just a bust at this point in his career. That there's there's no saying he's anything other than that. No, and it's funny you bring that up. I was going to bring this up to you. I was going to specifically touch on Moncada because our buddy Gabe talked about him in the chat too. And I did notice though in his last forty games, he's batting two eighty seven with forty one hits, seven seventy four OPS. I mean, he's been good the last 40 games. He's finally That's healthy, awesome. but like, I don't think it lasts at all. I'm with you, you know what I love about that is when the winter meetings come around and all these guys get together, Chris Getz can point to those numbers and say, hey, look at how good Moncada was at the end of the year. He's coming on again. He's coming on again. You, you can really 
get something out of this guy if you just give me what I want. Yes, absolutely. And I don't think Moncada has that dog in him that you need to see or hear. Um, I I love, and as Gabe, Gabe points out as well, we need a dog. Um, it's like that one coach. We got too many cats running around in here. We need more dogs. The White Sox need more dogs. Um, but, yeah, I, I there's really not much else to say. I, it's just talking about all the underwhelming players. They – you touched on it. Cease, good for a year, then came back down to earth. Eloy, Mancada, great for a year, came back down to earth. Most of the guys were good during the COVID shortened season. That was more of a sprint than a jog of a season. So I understand why that season kind of was the way it was. But like the pitching staff has been awful. Um, I got toasted last year for saying the White Sox should get rid of Bummer. And since then, he has like a 9 ERA, excuse me, um, just been absolutely terrible. Um, outside of Luis Robert Jr. and Benintendi, who's outstanding at defense? Oh, Mancada, but Mancada can't hit anything. Um, it, it's just it's all bad. There's really it wouldn't shock me if they're the worst team in the league next year. Yeah, that's just it. And then you look at the guys that they got in return on all those uh, deadline deals that they made. Right? They they talked about how good they were making this farm system. Now their top thirty is totally changed and evolved and it's it's this new beast and they have a farm system again go go look at the numbers for some of those guys they're not good since coming to the white Sox, especially since coming to the white Sox, a lot of them weren't good before coming to the white Sox, and they were just sold on their talent and now it's like they're they're here and it's not it's not good yeah the jake eater for jake burger trade is probably the worst of the lot um yeah, no, absolutely. I've I've got uh, I've got eyes out on all the upcoming card releases because I'm waiting for that first Burger card to drop so I can get some Marlins cards. Um, I actually almost bought a Jake Burger one on one the other day, but it went a little higher than I wanted to spend. So understood. Um, <laughs> you know what's what's the excitement in getting a guy in a White Sox uniform anymore? There is none. There is no excitement in getting White Sox players. Like I don't even I haven't even been buying prospects lately because like. The last time I did, I got a Lennon Sosa and a who was the other one I got? I don't even remember. It was somebody I didn't care about. I was like, this guy's not going to make it to the bigs. Like, yeah, you're just trying to sell product at this point. You're trying to stuff the case with with White Sox stuff because you have to have White Sox stuff in it. There's there's nothing enjoyable about getting any of it, though. No, not at all. The uh, most exciting White Sox players to get as far as, you know, the card hobby is concerned. And, and I think this is how a lot of White Sox players gen or white Sox players white Sox fans generally feel about it the most exciting thing about the white Sox anymore is their history it's it's getting a frank thomas card it's getting a paul canerco card it's getting a magliora donia's card it's not any of the current players i feel like we're back on like the 2016 bears or something where it's like nobody wears a jersey of anybody who's currently on the team everybody's excited about what happened 30 years ago that's so true um there is another thing and I'm curious where this lands on the the card game. We're going to kind of switch gears over to the north side now. And you brought this up in our group text earlier in the week. The Chicago Cubs called up Pete Crow Armstrong. And he makes his MLB debut as a pinch hitter, or a pinch runner, excuse me. Then he starts the next day, finally. Um, he's looked good in the field. 
we're still waiting for his bat to get going. Of course, sometimes that takes a little bit longer. Nobody's poo-pooing on him for that just yet. But what are your thoughts on him as a prospect? And give me an update on him in the card world. Yeah, I mean, anytime a player first gets called up, there's always a surge in their in their card pricing and availability, right? Like that's what you get the prospects for. You get the prospects in the anticipation of them getting called up. You know, we saw it, we saw it earlier in the season with Ellie De La Cruz. And then he came in so hot that his stuff just stayed at the top of the market. It's really cool. It's really exciting for him. Um, I still love watching him. I think he's a great player. I think he's going to be one of the most electric players in the league for a long time. And when O'Neill Cruz comes back, those Cincinnati Pittsburgh series are going to be a lot of fun to watch next season. That's for sure. Cause those two players are very, very similar in their play style. Um, but yeah, as far as as far as uh, Pete Crow Armstrong goes, you know, a, a slow start, which, like you say, is kind of to be expected, especially as a 21 year old kid. You know, he's he's not uh, the typical 21 year old that comes into the majors anymore. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of these younger prospects tend to be international guys, right? The the homebred American players don't usually make it to the pros until they're 22, 23, 24. Uh, and that's that's just the way the development cycles work, right? These guys are going to college here in the U.S. They're really fleshing out their game fully, whereas a lot of these guys coming up in the international system, they've been playing daily for five, six years already. So it's it's just a different culture, different way of life. So for him to be coming up at 21 years old is already, I think, a really impressive feat for him. His... His glove looks great. Defense always translates at every level though, right? You're not going to be able to field a ground ball at single A and then not be able to field a ground ball in the majors. That's so true. That is so true. The pitching is the difference. The the hitting is the difference. So yeah, for him uh, going 0 for 7 to start his career is not the end of the world. He already has his first career RBI, so it's not like he doesn't have anything on the mantle right now. You know, he's got he's got that first ball out there already uh, and and he'll get more. He's coming along slowly, but surely. We knew he was kind of a developmental guy when the Cubs first got him in that Javi Baez trade. That's what the Cubs were doing when they made that trade, though. They weren't trading Baez and Bryant and Rizzo to try to go compete the next year. They were doing it to try to build the next core of Bryant and Baez and Rizzo. Uh, and, and hopefully Pete Crow Armstrong can be that, you know, he's a September call up for right now. He will still be a rookie next season because of that. So, you know, lots of Pete Crow Armstrong rookie cards to be had for anybody interested in that sort of thing. Um, his, his signing will signing volume will only increase now. Um, so for anybody, you know, trying to get a piece of memorabilia from him, you absolutely have your options. The Cubs will certainly do a bobblehead next year for anybody interested in that. Uh, like our uh, other co-host on South Rivers Hitman, Joe Mandel, is definitely excited about that more on the White Sox side of things. But Crow Armstrong has the possibility to be that Luis Robert type player, you know, but like what Luis Robert should be, not what we wanted him to be for the Cubs. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Um, so one thing I was going to bring up to you. Yeah, he's amazing. He plays center field. 
Obviously, the Cubs had Bellinger to play center field for most of the season, but he transitioned to first base with guys like Hosmer and Mancini not really working out for them this year, which kind of was expected. But Bellinger's been a beast. So now that Bellinger's proven he can play first base, I assume you think the Cubs should keep him. You know, it's really tough. It really depends on what the Cubs want to do next year, right? Like they had a spell this year where like they were really competitive and they looked like they could make a playoff push. And it kind of seems like that's faded. I don't think they're mathematically eliminated or anything, but I don't think anybody's expecting big playoff things from the Cubs right now. No, they're in a playoff spot. Yeah, but again, I don't think anybody's expecting them to make a push or anything like that is, is all I'm trying to say. And it's still possible for them to lose this spot as well, especially considering they're losing to, to pretty good or to pretty bad teams right now. They definitely seem like they're fading, even though they are in that playoff spot. You know, a lot of a lot of playoff momentum just comes from getting hot at the right time. We talk about it all the time in football, but it's it's just as true in baseball. You know, I think the 69 Cubs and Mets are one of the greatest examples of all time when it comes to that. The Mets. Sure, sure, the Cubs fell apart, but people always forget how hot the Mets got at the end of that season. And they continued that streak all the way through the World Series. You know, it, it wasn't like the, the Cubs got eliminated in 69 just because they weren't, you know, they, it's not like they just fell apart. It's not like they they should have won the whole thing. They weren't going to win the whole thing no matter what, even if they made the playoffs. The, the Mets were that freaking hot that year. And and that's what I'm talking about. That's just the the reference that comes most to mind for me. For um sure. But like, look at the White Sox most recent few uh, playoff appearances. You know, they they lost to the A's. They lost to the Astros. Both teams that were getting really hot in mid-September. Right now is the time where you're going to start see playoff teams become World Series teams. And we're going to start seeing playoff contenders become guys, teams that don't even make the playoffs, you know? And I think that's where the Cubs like are on a dangerous edge right now. They're precariously balanced right there. And losing that series to the Rockies could be the point that tips them backwards and causes them to miss the playoffs altogether. Regardless, they're not going deep. And so because of that, they have a really interesting decision to make with Bellinger because Bellinger was a godsend for that team this year. He put them on his back and carried them. David Ross could not have asked for a better player to join that clubhouse. He could not have asked for a better teammate to to start coaching all of these young guys. Um, Bellinger really feels like a glue guy to that team, um, which you don't normally find in one year players. And that's where it's going to be really interesting because if the Cubs want to try and develop like a new young core, you might move on from Bellinger. You might just bring up the young guys, let them start gelling together and start figuring out from there. But if you want to start trying to really compete, if you think that this playoff spot this year was not just a fluke, that you could genuinely become a World Series contender just by, you know, tweaking this roster a little bit, you have to keep Bellinger on like a four or five year deal. Have to. It's it's not even negotiable. And we're going to find out exactly what the Cubs front office thinks of their ball club this offseason, depending on whether or not they re-sign Bellinger. Yes. And a lot of it... Yes, they'll decide whether or not they think they're going to be a good team, and I completely agree. Uh, Bellinger's price tag will be interesting to see where that all comes in. Um, you touched on how the White Sox should have traded Dylan Cease. You could get you know, a team's three of their top 30 prospects for a guy like Cease. For Baez, the Cubs got Peter Crow Armstrong. He was the number five prospect in the Mets system. They didn't even get like their number one guy. It was the number five guy, and look at what he turned into. So that's a fine example of, hey, this is why sometimes it's okay to take risks on prospects because every now and then you're going to get a Peter Crow Armstrong who goes from being an organization's number five prospect to being a number 12 prospect in all of baseball, that's which it. is exactly what he is right now. 
So, Every once in a while, you're going to get a 16 year old kid from the Dominican Republic that turns out to be one of the next star players in baseball. Yes, Fernando Tatis Jr. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. And the, when the White Sox traded him, he was just a boy, and people, you know, nobody expected him. That's right. one nobody thing I won't rip it. on. I won't rip on Rick Hahn for that. I know Rick Hahn sucked, and he was not a good GM or president for not president GM for the White Sox at any point for the most part. Um, they have two playoff wins in a decade of his service. Um, but getting James Shields to try and giving up on a 16 year old kid that you don't know anything from, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to hop off baseball a little bit, and we're going to talk about a little bit of foosball. Of course, our favorite team, the Chicago bears took an absolute whooping from the green Bay Packers over the weekend. And Zim, before we get your thoughts on that, I want to play a rant that I had on the barroom network. It's like a three and a half, four minute rant of just me giving my honest thoughts of the Chicago Bears. And I want you to react to my thoughts and give me your honest opinion on whether or not you agree with me. We will play that rant for you now. I cannot voice my displeasure towards Justin Fields, the coaching staff, and everybody else involved with the Chicago Bears right now. It's done. It's over. I don't give a fuck that it was just week one. Don't care. That game against the Green Bay Packers told me everything that I need to know. If I hear anyone, including you, (laughs) try to tell me that Justin Fields is better than Trevor Lawrence, I will poo-poo down your face. I don't understand what these people are watching all summer. I was happy with the Bears. I was like, they're doing this right. Ooh, they're getting Yannick Ngakwe. That's a nice little addition to their defensive line. Then we get to training camp, and they look awful. There are some YouTube highlights. Oh, the Bears training camp's going so well. The beat reporters are like, no, it's actually not going well at all. And people, You're negative. You're negative. No, they were being realistic. The Chicago Bears sucked. You do not win in the NFL with a defensive-minded head coach anymore. You just don't. Look at what happened to the New England Patriots with Bill Belichick once Tom Brady left. Okay? They've sucked. Okay? They've been horrible. Look at the Buffalo Bills. Nobody misses their former offensive coordinator more than Josh Allen. He's terrible. He was awful on Monday night. Defensive-minded head coach running the Bills into the ground. Matt Eberflus sucks. His play calling was awful. Ryan Poles, you promised us better than that. The egg that they laid against the Green Bay Packers in that first game is despicable. This team is so bad. So bad. Justin Fields is a bust. It's over. You have to, like, figure out a way to move on now. He can't throw. He can't make a read that doesn't either lead to a check down or a run. Scrambling is his only thing he's good at. They can't draw up plays. Either they don't trust him or he sucks or both. The, every single offensive play has seemed like it was a screen play. DJ Moore had two targets in the first half and zero in the second half. I mean, what the hell are we doing? You traded the number one pick for DJ Moore and other picks. He is a premier weapon in the NFL. He is a top 20 receiver. And you handle it like that? 
That is disgusting. It's time to start watching every single USC game and hoping that either the Carolina Panthers pick or the Chicago Bears pick lands them the ability to draft Caleb Williams because this thing is over. It failed again. My trust in polls is shaken. My trust in Eberflus is gone. I'm out on defensive-minded head coaches, especially after watching that debacle of a Monday night football game between the New York Jets and the Buffalo Beals. Um, I'm disgusted. The Bears are trash. I'd be shocked if they win five games. Yeah, there's some of the worst play calling. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you should be, Vinny. It's week one, man. Chill. It's week it's one. Week one. But we had the, I had the same reaction in 2019 when we came into that season, and it ended up being freaking correct because they were I think... so bad against the Packers in week one that week, too. No, I think there's a big difference here. And what it is, is it's coaching, right? Matt LaFleur knew exactly what he needed to do to come into this game and get a win. Matt LaFleur is unfortunately a good coach, right? He's he's gonna stay in Green Bay for quite a while. Um, for the first fa- for the first half of that game, you cannot deny that Justin Fields outplayed Jordan Love. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. For the first 30 minutes of that game, the Chicago Bears had a clearly better quarterback, and all of the problems were self-inflicted wounds, right? Yeah. Sure, the play calling wasn't good, but it wasn't terrible. I mean, again, the second half of that game, if you isolate the first half and the second half of that game, they are completely different scenarios and situations. And that's the problem that I'm having with a lot of the takes coming from week one is we're lumping it all in together like there was nothing good that came out of that game. It's like we, uh, the first half was actually not terrible. Sure, the first drive was god-awful. That is the worst opening drive to a season I may have ever seen ever. Horrible. Two sneaks failed in a row. Come on. Come on. That's not how you start a season. I don't care how aggressive you want to be. You don't call that play unless you are a 10,000% sure it's going to be successful. Right? Absolutely. Well, that's that's a whole other thing. I, 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 that's where I say it all falls down to the coaching, right? The coaching completely fell apart. I think you're definitely right with the defensive mind and coaching does not win in the NFL anymore. It, it doesn't work. Josh Allen is a pure product of all of that. Brian Dable looked like a genius when he was there and all he did was get Josh Allen to stop throwing interceptions. That's all he did. He didn't do anything else for that team. All he said is Josh Allen, do not throw the ball to the other team. And the bills turned into one of the best teams in the league. Well, guess what? Now Josh Allen is throwing interceptions. Like they're going out of style and he's losing to the freaking Aaron Rodgers list jets. That's bad. That is bad. <laughs> Meanwhile, Brian Dable can't even put up a point because he doesn't have a halfway decent quarterback anymore. You know, he doesn't have any wide receivers, which doesn't help anything either, but that's a whole other story. What's going on in New York uh, on both football teams is going to be a really interesting story to follow for the rest of the season. As far as what happened in Chicago, I think that there's plenty of room for improvement. Sure. I don't think that the improvement is impossible to see either. I think this is still, I've, I've said it since the beginning. I think this is still about a seven to nine win team right around that 500 mark. I don't think they're going to be world beaters. I kind of expected them to lose on Sunday, if I'm being completely honest. The Bears never play well coming off of a long break. And guess what? They've got five of them this season. So get ready for those because a lot of them come against divisional teams. 
right? They never do well going on to Monday night football. They never do well coming off of a Thursday night game. They never do well after the bye week. They never do well in season openers. When was the last time the Bears won a season opener that actually mattered? Don't tell me last season. They won three games last season. <laughs> a yeah. third of their wins came in week one last year. So don't tell me that week one was some great performance last year. They played Trey Lance. I really want to drive that point home. They played Trey Lance. In a monster. Who is now third string on the Dallas. I, it doesn't matter. You could have played Trey Lance with no offense or with no defensive line. You still would have beat him. It's Trey fucking Lance. The guy is terrible. He had no business being drafted number three overall. By a smart team, too. Debatable. <laughs> By a lucky team. Fair. I mean, their defense I mean, is awesome. Their defense is really good. Yeah. Um, And that's even after trading away one of their best defensive players in DeForest Buckner. Yep. And making a bad decision on defense with their third overall pick in 2017. And Solomon Thomas. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But, you know, all in all, I think the White Sox or the White Sox, I, the White Sox are not fixable. I think the Bears this season are fixable. I think the Bears are not done for. I don't think Justin Fields is done for, but I, I sincerely believe that if by the bye week you don't see considerable improvement from him, it really is time to start cutting your losses. Um, it's the Bears, though. They didn't play anybody in preseason. So these first four games are basically your preseason. Now, this is what happens when you don't play your starters in preseason. These first four weeks are entirely going to be growth and change and growing pains. And how can you rebound from this, that, and the other thing? I mean, there's a very realistic possibility. And when I say very realistic, I mean almost certain possibility. This team starts out one and three at best in the first quarter of the season. Uh, and that's just, just the harsh reality of it. They should beat Tampa. They should beat Denver. I think they only get one out of those two games. They will lose to Kansas City. I will say that now two weeks out without hesitation, especially now that Kyler Gordon is on the IR which is news that broke shortly before our show started. For anybody who's not aware, Kyler Gordon is on the IR with a hand injury, so out at minimum four to six weeks. Um, probably some kind of fracture. Who knows? They'll never tell us because Ibraflus is like that about injuries too because, God forbid, we just know what's wrong with a player. We can't just say, hey, he's got a broken wrist. He'll be out for like four to six weeks and be back. No problem. Bye. No, we've got to be, oh, uh, he's got a wrist injury, and uh, I, uh, I'm i not a doctor, uh, so he's out with a wrist injury. Thanks. That was so insightful, bud. Really yeah, appreciate it. Would have never guessed. Would have never guessed. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Zim, it's been a great show and I appreciate you for coming on. We're going to end it on this last question. I, Absolutely. Think, I think the Buccaneers are going to kill him. I, I wish I was as optimistic as you. I, I can't, I can't get there right now. Yeah, they were, you know, Justin Fields was better than love in the first half. That doesn't mean he was good in my brain. Like, because love, I think if they had Rogers, like good Rodgers, healthy Rodgers, they would have beat the Bears by 50. And they still beat them by, what, 25? However many they beat them by. It was bad. Um, I I, I don't think the Bucks were as terrible as I projected them to be against the Vikings. And so I, I by no means I'm saying I think the Bucks are going to be this great team this year after watching them for one week. 
But, I mean, so you think they're going to win this week and then go lose to Kansas City? Because if they get killed by Tampa Bay this week in the hot weather and Nate Davis sucking wind again because he can't, you know, didn't play in the preseason, doesn't bother practicing very much. But uh, you're going to tell me after three plays playing that game in Chicago, they're going to go down to 110-degree Florida and be much better there? I have a hard time seeing it. So talk me off a ledge with that game against Tampa Bay and then going into Kansas City. I mean, 0-3 in my brain's a lock. No, I'll definitely say it is somewhat weather dependent. Like the the Bears don't play well in hot games. I think they've won one game where the weather was above 90 degrees in the past three seasons. And that was in Denver <laughs> of all places. <laughs> yeah. So they do not play well down in Florida. They they historically have not. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I think it's a very beatable team, though. Uh, the only reason that the Vikings didn't run away with that game is because Baker Mayfield caught on to their defensive signals. Uh, and, and you do have to worry about that with the bears because they run a cover two defense. It's an ancient architecture that is about as outdated as the pyramids, but they're going to run it and we're going to have to just see what happens with it. These linebackers are really struggling to pass things off in the middle of the field. So expect Mike Evans to have a field day, but who else do they have? Like, that's kind of what I keep falling back on is like, they don't have one guy that's just going to beat you the way that the Packers were able to lean on Aaron Jones, right? Because you still have to count on Baker Mayfield to get the ball to Mike Evans. And I think that it's possible that you can shake up Baker Mayfield as, as much as he's got that Mayfield magic, man. uh, There's just something about him. I don't trust. And at the end of the day, I think that's going to be the difference is like, who's got the better quarterback? Well, I think their quarterbacks are about matched equally. So who's got the better roster outside of quarterback? It's the bears. It's not by a lot, but it is the bears. They've got a better number one receiver. They've got a better number one on defense. They've got a better, hopefully pass rush. Um, They didn't do enough in the off season. I think we've all talked that point to death over the last week, especially Uh, But it was talked about even before training camp started that they didn't do enough on the offensive line. They didn't do enough on the defensive line for a team that was supposed to build through the trenches. They didn't really build the trenches very much at all. It makes you wonder what's really going on over there. So at any rate, I do think that the Bears can win. They are a three and a half point underdog as it stands right now, uh, which is basically just home field advantage for the Buccaneers. So that tells me that Vegas thinks they're pretty evenly matched. If this game was in Chicago, the Bears would probably be a two and a half point favorite. Like it's going to come down to who shows up to play. And frankly, if the Bears don't show up to play after that stinker they put up last week, they have no business going out on the field against the Chiefs at all. They might as well forfeit that game and turn in their game checks. Like, yeah, there's there's no reason for them to be out there. Um, Equinemius St. Brown, damn well, better be active. Valus Jones Jr. I don't care if he's active or not, but if he is, he better have a role in the offense because Tyler Scott sure didn't. I'm not sure why he was active. Um, a lot of confusing things about the game plan. I feel like there's no way they can come out as bad as they did last week. There's no way if they come out as bad as they did last week, this whole coaching staff should be fired immediately. Yes. So I agree. That's that's pretty much my baseline for this is like, There's nowhere to go but up. You can't go further down. You can only go up. And frankly, I think that Tampa can only go down. 
That's fair. <laughs> they just they just won probably one of the biggest games of the year for that team. Very much like the Bears beating the 49ers last year. That was one of the biggest wins of the season, regardless of the fact that it was only one of three. If they'd won 10 games, that 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 San Francisco game still would have been one of the biggest wins of the season. Yeah. So I think that's how Tampa is going to be about that game against the Vikings. Uh, week one is the flukiest week all all year, every season. Um, we see all kinds of things happen in week one, like the Jets beating the Bills without Aaron Rodgers. That every year mean nothing at the end. You know, going back decades, you know, Michigan losing to Appalachian State week one of the college football season. It's the flukiest win of all time, but it's one of the most historic things ever. Right. Yep. Because week one, anything can happen. Any given Sunday is about 10 times louder during week one. That is true. So that is very true. Well, Zim, I hope the Bears are able to pull off a win. I hope I'm completely wrong and you're completely right and they're able to get it done. Um, I want them to win so bad because then I'll start to think like, okay, then if you go lose to the Chiefs, you're one and two, then you could start maybe, you know, taking advantage of the schedule that you have a little bit from there and, you know, have an okay season, I guess. But if they start 0-3, that's going to be tough, but... You know, we will have plenty of time to recap that when we reconvene on the South Burbs Hitman podcast on Monday. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I know I talked quite a bit, but that's it's what been I like. A few weeks, it's been a few weeks since we've gotten to talk quite a bit. So, yeah, I was really excited to come on, share my thoughts about a lot of things. I didn't talk about half the things that have been running through my head for the last two weeks because, you know, Chicago sports has frankly been awful to watch and, Everybody's like, well, we got bull season coming up now. And I'm like, that's guys, guys, that's not yeah. going to change any no. of this. They're no. still trying to win with Zach Levine. Yeah. Okay. I, I need to remind you that they're still trying to win with Zach Levine. Yep. He's not a winner. No. You want, you want your, your fun fact. I know I've sh- shared it on South Burbs Hitman, but I want to share it here too. The White Sox have more playoff wins with Luis Robert than the Bulls have playoff wins with Zach Levine. Okay. All right. That's that's not good. (laughs) Yeah. No. Hashtag not good at all. That's actually very sobering. Uh, Connor Bedard will be interesting. The Hawks are Connor Bedard's fun. He'll be fun. Scored. I saw the first uh, five on five action with him today. Yeah. He's sniping. He's sniping. He's gonna be so fun to watch. Hell yeah! I can't wait. Well, Chicago sports fans, if you don't know about the Chicago Blackhawks, it's time to introduce yourselves. Yeah. Hop on now. Because they have the brightest future of all the five teams, in my opinion, just because they have Bedard. Because um, of Connor Bedard. Yeah. yeah. You know, the Bears, they might end up being okay. The Cubs are okay. The White Sox and Bulls suck. But Bedard could be like a championship-level player for the Chicago Blackhawks. So we'll see what happens there. And make sure you tune in to all the great shows here at the Barroom Network all weekend long, including our good friend Joe Mandel's Fantasy Football Goon on Sunday morning before kickoff. Very much looking forward to watching that. And the Chicago Bears getting ready to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The White Sox kicking off a series with the Minnesota Twins. Um Hope everybody enjoys watching the sports ball this weekend. And for Steven Zim Zimmerman, thank you so much for coming on. I'm Vinny Parisi. As always, thank you for listening. Another happy landing. (laughs) 